You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Well, welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am so thrilled to introduce you to AJ, who is the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Palette Skills, a national nonprofit focused on meeting the needs of Canada's most innovative companies by upskilling workers from diverse backgrounds to transition into new industries. AJ, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. And, and AJ, you don't just run Palette Skills. You guys have a new initiative from the federal government called Upskill Canada as well. We do, yes. We uh, we launched that in uh, April of this year uh, after uh, a long process of, you know, working with the government and and uh, and convincing them of the need for this kind of great opportunity. And it's a super exciting initiative. It's a two hundred and fifty million dollar uh, fund that we're now leading um, to help bring this kind of upskilling program across the country to uh, to all Canadians and multiple sectors and, and working with incredible partners to do it. It's amazing. So, so many of our listeners uh, and viewers are working in advertising, marketing, um, kind of the innovation sectors, small yeah. to medium businesses. And so the idea of upskilling, tell me what that means and what that means for these business owners and those that are working kind of in this um, yeah. you know, kind of a innovative industry. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so upskilling is is sort of one of these words that that cropped onto the scene a couple of years ago, and people were like, "Is this just a rebranded way to talk about training?" Right? Uh, like, what is upskilling really all about? And uh, and that's something that we we we've really thought about and, and worked on as we've been delivering these programs of what is it that's different about this than any other sort of training or educational approach and uh, and there's a couple things that are, are pretty unique about upskilling and particularly the way that we define upskilling at palette skills um, the first is that upskilling is uh, for us it's inherently demand driven so if you think about most of the kinds of training programs or employment programs that exist out there they start with the person that's trying to get a job and they say you know, you've, you've lost your job or you're looking to change careers. What do you want to do and how can we create something for you that will get you there? Uh, whereas as upskilling, um, in our view of it, is inherently demand driven. And so that starts with the employers, with the company and says, what is the talent that you need or what is the job that you need filled? And how can we go look at our labor market a little bit differently, go work at the look at the workforce a little bit differently to find someone who might be well suited for that job? Uh, and then how do we build a program that will help transition that person from where they are, whether that's perhaps somebody in your company in a job that you know will not exist for much longer, uh, or someone in a different company in a different sector that sees their sector changing or their job changing and and wants to switch careers and find something uh, more growth oriented. So, you know, upskilling is is really about helping industry find the workers that they need and then ensuring that the workers have access to the programs that they need um, to to take advantage of those opportunities. And the other thing that I'll say that's really important distinction with upskilling uh, is that it's job focused. So how we define success with our programs is whether or not someone got a job in the field that they were upskilled to work in. Um, It's not enough to simply say somebody learned new skills or to say they completed a program and got a certificate as a result of it. Both of those things are, are often byproducts of upskilling, and that's great. But the success of upskilling, the definition of success, is the job. It's amazing. And you hear for so long, education institutes have been, you know, they're large, right? They're these large yeah. ships. 
that uh, you know they produce people with degrees, and, and but they're not held accountable or subjected to rigorous audits on did all of their grads get jobs. Whereas mm -hmm. the flip side with what you're doing, it sounds like that's the focus. It is absolutely, and I think you know it's important to to note that there's all kinds of approaches to learning and training that are important within this ecosystem, and um, you know uh, degree granting and 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 sort of that foundational learning experience that you get when you're an undergrad or or in college or in another kind of program like that. Um, you know, it is learning how to learn is a fundamental ingredient for successfully pivoting what you do as you get older. And so, um, you know, I think that the challenge isn't that institutions perhaps haven't been held accountable for whether their degrees have gotten people into jobs and how long they've held those jobs and how sustainable those jobs are so much as that there is there is, we have built this ecosystem of training and support for a labor market that has changed so much in how people move through their careers. And we've been missing this piece, this piece that Upskill Canada is now here to, to deliver and to build across the country as a new form of social infrastructure to help people navigate this whole new work environment. We've, you know, we've been very comfortable saying for the last 20 years that you're going to have 10 jobs in your life. Uh, but we haven't built anything to enable that effectively for people um, in the way that it is uh, that we're doing now. So I think that, you know, we definitely see that people who come into our programs with some sort of foundational credential, um, it doesn't really matter in what, uh, that they've had some sort of formal learning experience uh, makes it much easier for them to quickly pick up on new concepts and adapt that learning to get that new job. It's amazing. And, and origin story of Palette, we got to talk about this. So sure. most of the folks listening are in the B2B market, so business to business. They sell their services and other businesses. And one of the hardest parts of this job is A, doing the sales, mm -hmm. and B, hiring a salesperson. So tell us about Palette Skills and the role you played in the B2B sales world. Yeah, absolutely. So, so maybe I'll, I'll take you back, uh, yeah. 2017, a, a simpler yeah. time, a different time. Yes. <laughs> um, and, um, and you know, I, I, my background myself is in public policy, uh, and, and, uh, a lot of those policies that I've worked on uh, over the years in government and other places dealt with workforce development. And I had seen and heard very clearly this sort of the sense of the skills gap, uh, and this job gap, this talent gap that we were hearing from employees you know, chronically for decades that, you know, as much as uh, we had addressed, particularly for fast growing startup companies, you know, we had moved the needle on access to capital, we had moved the needle on access to markets. And yet this idea of access to talent was just continuously a thorn in our side that that we seemed to struggle to move the needle on. Um, at the same time, I was well aware that, you know, according to the OECD, when you look at our statistics, we are one of the most highly skilled, highly educated workforces in the yes. world. Yeah. Canada has an incredible uh, population of people who are phenomenally talented and skilled in, in all kinds of things. And so we really kind of sat with this challenge of saying, you know, how can we have the most highly skilled workforce in the world and yet still lack skilled workers? It doesn't make any sense. And so 
we started to really dig into that challenge and and we started by looking at it from the perspective of if we were to solve this problem how would that express itself what's the thing that tells us that we've solved this problem when we have workers without jobs and jobs without workers and that's where we came up with the metric of job placement as that that golden indicator because that told us that we were satisfying both sides of the market um and so we went out and, and said okay well who who then is in control of that indicator who controls whether or not someone gets a job? And the only person in this dynamic that controls whether or not someone gets a job is the employer. So we said, yeah. that's, where, that's where we have to start. We have to start with the employers and we have to understand when they say, I can't find talent, like what does that really mean? Knowing the, the landscape that we're operating in and the workforce that we have access to. Um, and so, and so that's where we started was with employers back in back in 2017 and 2018 um i did a series of roundtables uh with uh, over 50 companies in this sort of startup tech space um to to understand this question and one of the things that that we dug into as we heard about it because it seemed really interesting was this this challenge around finding sales workers and finding sales talent uh in particular in tech and it was something that was um somewhat ignored up to that this point because when people were thinking about talent and tech they thought stem right and so we had this sort of investment structure in this training system that was really pumping out a lot of you know boot camp grads in web development or um, in you know data science or these different things and that's all great that's that's well needed but there was a real gap in sales and uh, and you know we we asked these companies, and at the time, you know, Sears and a bunch of big retailers had just laid off a whole whack of their staff, right? Yeah. Uh, and so this was where I was like, okay, this is getting interesting. Would you guys in your, you know, e-commerce company that you're building, you're saying you're looking for sales workers. You're saying yeah. what really matters to you is that they know how to communicate and they can hear no a whole bunch of times and not give up. Um, and that's that's what you're you're hiring for. Have you considered going out and hiring some of these folks coming out of sales, coming out of some really tough work environments when it comes to being, you know, retail sales is not a not a not a great job all the time. Right. And that these people are doing it. Um, it wouldn't take a lot to teach them how to sell your company instead of selling these shoes. Right. Um, and what we heard again and again was like this real resistance to thinking that these kinds of people could do that job. And when we dug under that resistance, it, it, it seemed to be a, a mix of sort of assumptions and bias about what it takes to, to work in, in tech or to work in these roles. Um, and a real kind of fear of, of the unknown. Like, you know, I'm a small company. I'm moving at a, a million miles a minute. I have huge expectations put on me by my, my investors. Um, I can't carry the risk of this person not panning out. I need someone who is going to hit the ground running on day one uh, to do the job because I just, I cannot risk not having someone do that or even worse, have someone come in who is not only not great at the job, but is a bad hire or a disruptive hire. And, and so um, we realized, you know, that's, that was the real challenge we were trying to solve was, wasn't about skills. It wasn't about training. It wasn't about workers. It was about confidence and risk. 
And, and really what we were creating was not so much a training program, but like a risk management quality assurance program to get employers feeling confident that these people who could absolutely do the job, but perhaps didn't fit the typical profile that they saw as a low risk hire for the job, that we would give the companies the confidence to make those hires. And so we started testing that model, our first pilot, was looking at the sale at the gap in sales and B2B sales in particular in the tech sector. And we built Sales Camp, our first flagship program uh, that is a one week intensive with five weeks of part time um, training to take people from retail, hospitality, and other customer-facing roles where they may have um, you know, never sold software before, never worked in a tech environment but before, but have developed communication, persuasion, uh, and you know, objective handling, objection handling skills. Um, and we take them through this really intense one-week program to teach them how to apply those skills in the tech environment and help them understand the environment that they'll be walking into so that they can hit the ground running for those employers on day one, like the employer needs to see, um, and uh, and still use all of these great skills that they had already developed uh, in a growth-oriented career path, as opposed to trying to find another retailer who, you know, may or may not last um, in the environment that we're in. It's incredible. And now, and this is what I think is so exciting, and I don't know if there's a, is there an openness now if someone has like, man, I've got, I, I run an industry right now, I've got, I'm involved in this industry, maybe clean tech or I'm involved in manufacturing, and we have this massive job need or need, can they come to you guys now and say, hey, I've got this need and this is how would the training. Tell me about that process and what does that look like? Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's the exciting thing about this new initiative that we have with Upskill Canada is that we've, so as we launched uh, Sales Camp, you know, we we saw it really start to take off and we saw the, the hypothesis that we had proven correct that, you know, we were able to achieve a, an above 90% job placement rate for the people who were coming through the program with the employers that we worked with. And we realized that so much of that success was connected to how closely we worked with our customers in develop who are the employers uh, in developing the product itself in developing the program and having them in the classroom teaching the program um, in you know having them involved in every step of the way really was a key to generating the confidence that they needed to do that hiring mm -hmm. and so what we realized was that we had not only um, found a way to drive value for our uh, employers as well as our participants in, in getting jobs and, and filling jobs. But we were actually innovating a new design model for how to put these kinds of programs together um, that could be captured and scaled. And so over the next couple of years, we kept running Sales Camp uh, and learning more and more about what it takes uh, to do it effectively, uh, what it takes to screw it up, as we've done, yeah. you know, a handful of times. And uh, but really, you know, learning about ourselves and learning about our 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 our, our uh, stakeholders and 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 how to replicate success over and over and over again. And once we got really good at doing that with Sales Camp, we started to expand into other programs to see if we could replicate that success out outside of outside of tech and outside of um, a sales role. And so we we built a cybersecurity program that was training really advanced um, 
cybersecurity talent into sort of more sophisticated cyber roles um, using the same design model that we we had built Sales Camp off of. That got similar results to the program, uh, and and we saw tremendous hiring outcomes from that. Um, we then launched another program uh, called Digital Agriculture, really focused uh, entirely different market. It's based in the prairies. It's working in the agriculture sector, uh, and it's really trying to help that sector that is going through a tremendous transformation in in bringing on new technology and new automating tools into their practices. Um, and, uh, and is helping them find the talent that they need to, to use that technology and adopt it into their businesses. Uh, and we've seen, we've seen phenomenal results from that as well uh, and, uh, and similar uptake. And so, and so from all of those things, we said, you know, okay, this has been repeated, it's proven, it's validated, there's, this is, there's real IP here. And so we captured that into something we call Palette's model of upskilling, which is six core principles of design that need to go into any one of these programs. Um, through this funding now that uh, the government of Canada and ISED has provided to us, what it's really allowing us to do is take the model that we have for upskilling and decentralize it across the ecosystem to all the other incredible organizations out there that have the ability to build and deliver training programs and upskilling programs to give them both the framework to design them in a way that is going to replicate the success we've felt so far, uh, as well as the funding and resources to be able to, to build and launch the program. And so that's that's what we're doing now. We're in this really neat moment of um, of, of kind of hockey stick growth, which isn't something that you feel as a nonprofit very often. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's not, there are very few, if any of us out there right now that have sort of started with a pilot and ran a, a you know, a, a pretty standard innovation um, development play in going from sort of starting with something and then hitting that growth curve and, and, you know, 10 Xing it, but we're in the process of doing that now. And it's a really, really exciting moment for us to be able to see, um, that, you know, the, all of the work that we put in over the last five years of, of really getting deep into solving the root causes of this problem are now going to be scaled across the country. And this is the opportunity for all of those partners out there who have the ability to run these kinds of programs to work with those companies, to work with those industry sectors and leaders who are saying, you know what, we need workers over here. We need workers over there. We're now going to have a system that can actually respond to that in real time and stand up programs um, effectively to, to address it. It's incredible. And, and no um, partners announced yet, right? It's not. Not yet. Not yet. No. Okay. okay. And I know we got to be careful because you can't like prematurely announce who you're but maybe <laughs> generally speaking in the applications that you've seen come in so far I mean I know you don't read every single you know dot and t but like what are you most excited about coming in like what are you hoping to see what it maybe what have you heard of so far that you're like man this gives me so much hope for upskilling this next generation or this next season of the economy of Canada yeah so um Man, there's a lot that gives me a, a ton of hope. I mean, I mean, I'm an eternal optimist. You don't get into this work if you're not just like <laughs> delusionally optimistic all the time. But uh, but it, it usually pans out. Um, I mean, one thing that we were really clear on early on from from day one actually was um, 
that we wanted to be training partner agnostic, that this wasn't about, you know, working within the college system or the university system or intentionally working outside of either of those systems, that this was really about solving problems for employers and solving problems from workers and working with whatever organizations were most willing to, um, to, to get involved and roll up their sleeves and do the work. And, and I think that, um, What's been really exciting is to see such a diversity of organizations stepping forward as as what I would call our early adopters to say, yeah, this model is different perhaps than what we've done in the past. It's it's you know, this approach might not be something that we're we're familiar with, but we know that there we know that we need to change or we know we need to try new things and we're excited to try and we're excited to get involved. And, you know, we're all in on on giving it a shot. And I think that that's that's been really exciting. You know, there's, again, like I said, it's, it's, it's very diverse, the kinds of organizations that are coming forward and, and interested in playing in this game. And, you know, we, I think one of the things I'm really proud about for us was that, you know, when we put forward our proposal to the government and, and started to build this framework, um, you know, we really stayed true to what we believe needed to be built in order to solve the problem. And, you know, when you get into these processes, you start to, you know, game theory kicks in and you start to think, well, you know, would would the funder like to see this or would the funder like to see that? Or, you know, I need to give on this piece to get this partner on board or that piece to do, you know, like you just start to get into kind of horse trading and, and, and guessing and, um, and it can be really easy to, uh, begin to, you know, water down your approach or, or just sort of, um, change it. And I think that, you know, for us, we just thought we've, we've worked so hard to get to this moment and we've learned so much about what it takes to be successful. And, you know, there's lots that we're flexible on, but there's some things we really don't want to be flexible on. And we know that if we're flexible now, we're going to set ourselves up for a really challenging situation if we do in fact get this funding. And so we, you know, we stayed firm on our model. We stayed firm on the requirements for it. We stayed firm on a whole bunch of things, um, on building a system as opposed to sort of pre-allocating, um, partnerships and things like that. And, um, so I'm really proud that, we stayed true to that despite the fear that, you know, what if, what if compromising is the thing necessary to get us across the line for the funds? We instead, we just stayed true to what we wanted to build. And now, so we have the opportunity because of that to, to really build something meaningful. And, and I think we have, and, and we're starting to see it work. And so again, seeing people respond to that in such, with such eagerness and excitement uh, has been really rewarding. And I think, you know, we want to be the friendly disruptor in this space. You know, we want to be pushing people to stretch outside of their comfort zones, but but also walking beside them and supporting them as they do that. And uh, and I think people see us as that now, um, which is really exciting to me. It's so inspiring. I hope everyone here, like just that one section, like generally speaking for whatever you're doing in life, whether it's an idea or a new venture or in our industry, pitching an idea to a client or having a great creative concept, like what you've just shared is so valuable. It's so inspiring. Thank you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, AJ, a quick call out if, if you want to speak to those that are maybe in the industry right now, where can they go and what should they be thinking about when it's like Upskill Canada? What can they be like noodling around with right now? And what's your call out to them? What's your challenge maybe to Canadians right now? To sorry, to, 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 to apply. Should they apply? Yeah, when it comes to like applying and maybe pitching Upskill Canada, what's, what's, the, what's your pitch to those that should pitch you? Maybe that's the Sure. So, I mean, so to our, I, I, right now we're getting pitched by delivery partners, right? That's yeah. the, the sort of audience that, uh, we're, we're engaging with right now. And I think, um, you know, I think that it's one of the great things about us being in this position is that we have been in your position for the last five years, right? There is no one that understands how hard it is to stand a program like this up better than we do because we've been doing it. And, uh, and so we've, I think really built a model that again, you know, takes everything we've learned and really tries to come at it in an empathetic way with our partners to say, you know, this is hard and we know we're asking you to do hard things, but we know that if it come, if you come with the commitment to try and to do the work, good things will come. And so long as you try and do the work and keep problem solving throughout the process uh, and show us that that approach, um, you know, we'll walk with you on that. Right. We'll we'll work with you on that. That's what we want to see. You don't have all the answers because you've never done this before. So let don't come to me telling me you have all the answers. Right. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you're going to do to figure it out. Tell me that you understand how to work with a customer base, like a group of employers and really listen to them. If you're telling me that you have all the answers, then you're going to go tell them you have all the answers and they know you don't have all the answers. And so, like, let's not play this game. Let's Mm -hmm. be honest with each other and just listen and, and learn and, and, and try and adapt. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, whether you're picking the right sector or the right job or the right partners, I mean, you know, you, you can't know that as a delivery partner because we're, we're trying to put this jigsaw puzzle together. And, and part of that is relative to everyone else that's, that's coming forward. But what you can do is, is show me that you understand the spirit of what we're trying to do, that you understand the stakeholders you're trying to work with, and you understand how to um, 
how to really collaborate with industry in, in, a, in a close and meaningful way, because that is going to be the key to your success and, and ultimately our success. Come on. AJ, that's awesome. <laughs> Dang. You ready for the rapid fire? Yes. All right. Let's do this. Let's do this. Okay. What was your first ever job, Jay? My first ever job was delivering penny savers uh, in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I think I was like eight or nine years old, and it was a terrible job. Terrible. <laughs> um, I think everyone needs a terrible job in their lifetime so yeah. that they can appreciate a good job. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, night owl or early bird? Absolute night owl. 100%. Yeah. Cat or dog person? Dog person, without question. What was the uh, first ever thing that you like kind of sparked, got going? What was the first ever thing that you were like, man, I did that from scratch? Because you seem to be like a fire sparker. You get stuff done. <laughs> um, oh, man, the first thing I sparked from scratch. I have a very vivid memory when I was really young. Uh, at the end of my, I grew up in like very typical eighties suburb, like, you know, surrounded by farm fields and our subdivision was like the first in the, the neighborhood. And there was a field up the street from us that was empty that all the street kids used to go play in. Uh, and then one day construction crew showed up and started spray painting stuff to, to build something. And we were all like, so burnt up about it, uh, about this park going, uh, getting, taken out. And so I organized <coughs> all of the kids in the neighborhood to go up to the park one afternoon and pick out all of the spray painted grass that the construction crew had spray painted in order to build their, their new subdivision. And, uh, and we cleared the grass of all of the spray paint, uh, to try and get that done. That was the first time I remember like trying to organize people to do something. Um, awesome. And uh, yeah, anyway, that was, it. it still went in. It was, a, and it turned out to be a school and yeah. that had an even better playground. So, I mean, you know, uh, a lot of lessons I should suppose you could pull from, from yeah. that one. <laughs> no, those are very formative pieces. Yeah, no. It was a formative sure. moment for sure. Um, darker milk chocolate. Milk chocolate. Okay. Your favorite word right now. integration. Okay. I like it. What does that mean to you? What's that word mean? So, I mean, it's a word that I think about all the time at work right now, um, yeah. because we have, you know, we, <clears throat> we went from signing our contribution agreement to launching our platform in four weeks, uh, and then opened up our applications in eight weeks. And so we've hired like 40 people in the last four or five months, like it's been insane getting this thing off the ground and launched and started. And so like any other startup, you know, we just, we just went gangbusters on getting the build out the door, get moving, um, and bringing on all these people and, and everybody's just been heads down on their piece of the puzzle to, to get it all done. And, uh, and that's been incredible to watch, but in order for us to really, continue to succeed in this new size, we need to really get all the pieces back together. And I just did this with my hands, which anyone on my team can tell you, they see me almost every day go like this. Yes. Which, which like, those that are listening, you're taking your fingers and 
crisscrossing them. Oh, yes, thank them. you. Yes, yes, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yes, exactly. I, uh, yes, integration between the hands. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, and I think about it all the time. That's part, a big part of my job right now is yeah. to get us all realigned, get us all working together, get, yeah. you know, the... Sixty percent of our staff were net new in the last three months to yeah. understand how we work. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a big word at the top of my mind these days. Um, last charity you supported financially or with your time, and why? Um, I think it was the Sunnybrook Foundation uh, here in Toronto, yeah. and it was because someone came and knocked on my door, and yeah. I felt really guilty saying yeah. no. And yeah. I am I'm that sucker. Like yeah. I. I hate it, but um, I'm I'm who keeps those people in business, yeah. and uh, yeah. You're the reason they were like, no, this stuff works when you ask for donations at the till. I don't want it to work. So, yeah. But, but, I, okay. Oh, anyway. that's amazing. Um, but they do great work. I should yes, say the yes. Sydney Foundation is an incredible they organization. Of they, they do great work. They all do great work. Yeah. Um, what is a movie that you love? You can watch over and over again. Oh man, I don't know. I feel like everything that's at the top of my list is like embarrassing. Um, that's all right. Yeah. What can I watch over and over again? Everyone's got their guilty pleasure. So it's always. I think if I have like, if it's like a rainy day and for some reason I don't have kids running around my house and I can just curl up on the couch, I'm probably watching Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably going to the trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. Extended version or regular version? Yeah. Like just go for it. Just, you know, I, yeah. It's like the ultimate at this point now, I have two young kids. And yeah. so, um, you know, putting aside like four and a half hours yeah. for yeah. Peter Jackson's, yeah. you know, narrative journey yeah. is just like the ultimate luxury. Like it's oh, yeah. just oh, yeah. absolutely frivolous. So that's, okay. that's what so, I'm doing. So I'm going to age myself. So I'm 41. So when the movie came out in theaters and then it came out on DVD, you could get the extended box set and I oh, bought yeah. it. And there was these things back then called Easter eggs on oh, DVDs. Yeah. So, okay, if you remember, so if you We're push- the same age, my friend, yeah. Okay, okay, I, I was like, I, yeah. Okay, yeah. so for those that don't know, that are listening, you could go on the menu and you'd push left and right, but if you, but you couldn't go up and down, but if you did go up, you would sometimes find hidden th- videos you could watch, and it was like the coolest thing to find those Easter yeah. eggs. I know. Was, people who don't have DVD players will never discover the joys of Easter eggs. Unless Netflix, true. I'm sure Netflix has Easter eggs. You think they have Easter eggs somewhere? They must. They must have one. I mean, they're such, they're so delightful. Like they've got to figure it out. They've got it. They've got, okay. I'm going to Google that after this. (laughs) Find this out. Um, Favorite song or album on repeat right now? Uh, Again, I am the classic, like my, I, I turned mid thirties and all of my music tastes reverted back to my like early twenties. And that's all I listened to uh, or late teens. Um, So I'm just trying to think. Probably, I'm going to say Weezer's Blue Album. I just went to see them in concert a couple yeah. days ago. And, nice. like, they're really timeless. Yeah. And every song on that album... Sweater, is, right? Yeah, yeah. Sweater. Yeah. So, Buddy Holly, they're all yeah. classics. If you want to destroy my sweater. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> um, if you weren't doing this job in, like, another multiverse, what, what would you be doing with your life, you think? Um... I think I'd either be working in politics or doing some sort of like very on the ground operational, like 
charity work or something like international yeah. development work or something like that. That's awesome. It's a neat mix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, app on your phone you can't live without. Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Um, favorite children's book. Um, I like, there's a lot of good ones there. I gotta say the books I read my kids are way better than the books that I, they feel like I got read, but, um, I, but I do have to go back to the classic. I feel like good night moon is, is still mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. pull that out for my kids and it's just Love. like comfort food. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, best thing you ever bought for under $10. Best thing I ever bought for ten dollars. I don't know. Is anything that cheap anymore? <laughs> I don't know. I know. Even the dollar store—they're not things in the dollar store aren't a dollar. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I don't, probably just like whatever snack I need when yes. I'm hungry yeah. is the best thing I could ever purchase yeah. for under $10. Like Perfect. just satisfy Perfect. the need, you know? Um, I feel awesome. like that's it. Yeah. Uh, what's the most important thing you ever changed your mind about? Whether or not I was an entrepreneur hmm. Wow. for a long time, I yeah. would have told you I'm not. And then I finally accepted, obviously, I am. Awesome. <laughs> uh, it took someone, actually, it took a, a woman um, that I didn't really know, but was sort of pitching on my, my work uh, to kind of set me straight. I spent, you know, she was like, wow, you're an incredible entrepreneur. I'm like, well, I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do yeah. whatever. And she's like, listen, honey, yeah. you're sitting in front of me, pitching me your idea, sweating blood to get it off the ground. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. an entrepreneur. Knock yeah. it off. Stop Aww. kidding yourself. That's and I was awesome. Like, All right. Yeah. True. Fair. Yeah. We need those good truth tellers in our lives. Everyone's totally. Good. Totally. Um, any books or podcasts that you recommend that you find inspiration from or have? So yeah, I would say the number one book that I I like. Anyone who asks me about books, I can't stop talking about too, is a book called Rest is Resistance uh, by a woman named Trisha Hersey. Uh, and she, you can find her on Instagram under the, the NAP ministry. Um, it's an organization she runs and it's all about um, the importance of rest, but it's written not from a sort of self-help or, you know, wellness industry perspective. It's really uh, pretty political and radical looking at you know, the role of rest and forced labor historically in, you know, in capitalism and in slavery and, you know, which is origins of, of a lot of our economic models today. And, um, and sort of is this, this proliferation of a grind culture mentality and, and what's that that's doing to us as people and individually. And I, I find it really fascinating because I, I, you know, I'm very fascinated by all of these topics around, the systems that we're living under today and how they're affecting us and how we dismantle them. And I read a lot of stuff about that coming from a, a top level, you know, talking about it at a systems level. And what I find fascinating about her work is that, you know, she talks about the systems and the systems level, but then she takes it right down to you as an individual and says like, you don't need to believe any of this, go lay down and listen to your body, you know, feel how quickly you start to feel jittery and guilty for not doing something right. Mm. Like, who told you to feel that way? Who taught you to that you didn't deserve to rest when you're tired, right? And 
They're powerful questions to ask. And as someone who is an entrepreneur, as I can admit now, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and has really burned herself out many times thinking that I need to, you know, grind all day long to get something done. Uh, and you know, I can't stop and stopping is, you know, weakness, um, is a really powerful, really powerful stuff to learn and unlearn. And I feel like I'm in a position to be able to bring some of those lessons into the work we do at Palette and the way we structure our organization at Palette. And uh, so anyway, I would really encourage everybody to read that book. Rest is resistance. It's amazing. I'm, I'm so, I'm going to get that book today. Sounds amazing. Do it up. Um, any kind of like newsletters or websites uh, that you kind of subscribe to or get that you're like, man, I love what these guys are putting out. Honestly, not really. And I yeah, feel like good. I, you're, you're going like, to make it, you're going to make the play yeah. what's it called? Yeah, sandbox, right? Sandbox. Yeah. Right. Come the on. learning sandbox. Yeah. Yeah. Come yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I read, I'm a news junkie. So yeah. that's really, I go to, you know, I read newspapers. That's my, my, my papers, uh, quote unquote, but, um, yeah, like I'm the, I'll read sort of four papers or skim them a day. Uh, so I read the star, uh, Toronto star. I read the globe and mail, New York times. Uh, and then usually a couple other group like I have a handful of others that I flip between so that's really where I get a lot of my my thinking or my that's what I turn to yeah that's awesome uh favorite paper or are you kind of like you you know you can't say who your favorite child is but do you kind of go to I have like you know there's there's different authors or different journalists that I like more than others but I think you know, all, I, all of those papers are good. So yeah, yeah. perfect. Perfect. Leave it out. Love yeah. it. But I wouldn't, I, one thing I always try to do is read at least one news source that is totally counter to what, you know, like I'm not normally super aligned with some of the policies or, or positions of the national post, but I like yeah. to read it to yeah. better understand where they're coming from yeah, and that perspective. perspective. And yeah. I'll go on Fox news sometimes yeah. and see what they've got to say about issues. And it's, yeah always a wild alternate universe yeah, but it's yes. good to it's good to know right yeah. it's important to know what other people think yeah. so read the beaverton get their perspective hey yeah. gotta love that beaverton <laughs> you know, always that, that's the hard-hitting news source that yeah. i turn yeah. to yeah 100 what's your um where do you hang out online where's your kind of go-to social channels or like or, or do you spend much time producing content online personally no, no i yeah. am not a very stuff online done person. you ain't got time for yeah. that you know honestly I kind of like back in 2015, 2016, yeah. I wouldn't say I like dealt with like tech addiction, but like yeah. I was really getting to a point where I felt like I did not have control over the amount of time that I was spending online or yeah. um, the way that I was using social media and, and or that I had a lot of control over how using those tools was affecting how I was feeling, my mental yeah. health and my stress and all of that stuff. Yeah. And I started to really dig into learning about it and learning about the, the psychology behind, you know, app creation and yeah. the tools of like oh, addiction psychology oh, that are embedded in so many of, of these tools that we use. And I, I, so I used a whole bunch of techniques that I, to try to really get my, get my relationship with technology to a healthy place and under control. And one there where I felt that it was, it was benefiting me, but I was not sort of, uh, enslaved to it. And yeah. so, um, yeah, that was a real process. Uh, and I, I kind of, you know, I had my 
gave birth to my daughter uh, in 2016. And so it was like a real kind of, I need to get, I need to get my head on straight for this next journey. And I didn't feel like I had it on straight. And so, um, yeah, so I've really, I really uh, try not to use my technology a ton and yeah. it's all hundred percent easier said than done. But, um, yeah, I, you know, Instagram, yeah. I, I mean, I already said that's one of my yeah. favorite apps. So that yeah. is the one, if there's one tool that, yeah. or one thing that I, uh, <clears throat> use a lot, that would be that one. Um, and then LinkedIn and that's yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, and I don't produce much content yeah. for either of those. Yeah. Not um, yet. Soon. Not yet. Maybe not another, yet. maybe another uh, season of your life. Yeah, honestly, some of it has been hesitancy because uh, the more you produce, the more people engage with you and the more you have to engage with yeah. them. And it's, that was where I felt like I was losing control. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. and so, but, you know, I got a lot of stuff to say and I want to get out there and say it. So it's, I'm going to have to find a balance yeah. of, uh, of doing those things. Well, I appreciate you coming on and producing content on this show. So it's... This is nice. This is one side. So, no, it's great. You know. it's beautiful. <laughs> um, Anything else? So, uh, Pal Skills, people can check out B2B Sales Camp. It's amazing. Those that are in our industry, especially, highly encourage you to check out the upskilling Absolutely. you can provide for your own staff, especially because everything we do is B2B. Um, and those that are in, um, for some reason, ag tech, also some training there as well. And if you've got uh, come from industry and your industry, you've got maybe an association or a group, and you're, man, you have a big need, check out Upskill Canada. You might be able to pitch something. Or keep an eye out for Upskill Canada as they launch amazing programs that are going to help uh, enhance and upskill your industry today and tomorrow and next year and years to come. It's wonderful. Um, AJ, anything else you want to leave with listeners? Uh, no, I think that was it. I think, uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll give you the website is paletskills.org or upskillcanada.org. Either one will take you to our, our, uh, main pages. And, and as you said, like it's, it's, um, we've really, you know, we're really trying to do things differently as a funder and as an organization in this space. And I think that, uh, you reach out to us, you'll start to see that right away. And so, um, yeah, we're looking for partners. We're super, super active right now, looking for partners of all kinds. Uh, and, um, stay tuned. It's amazing. Thanks again for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was great. Thanks everyone for joining us this week on Marketing News Canada, and we'll see you next time on the show. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers.